back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're returning to the show, I'm absolutely thrilled. And if you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. You can follow me, your host, at J. Claude Deering on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow our show handle on Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our Patreon and some cool Things Are Going Great For Me swag, including a quietly dignified Things Are Going Great For Me copy mug. We've also got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags, so check them out and listen in comfort and style. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page at Things Are Going Great For Me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from our season one, season two, and season three guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they adjusted to life in quarantine and how the pandemic is continuing to change life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen. So if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And by the way, we're delighted to welcome back our sponsor for this series, Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be exceptional. Icelandic Glacial natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon and at local retailers near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming actors and comedians and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. Today's first guest is Zibby Allen. Zibby plays Bree Sheridan in Netflix's mega-hit series, Virgin River. She began her television career as the recurring character Nurse Zibby on Grey's Anatomy. She's also known for her beloved role as Madame Gugu on Ant Farm. She's also a producer, writer, and the creator of the true crime podcast, Small Town Dicks. Her husband, Adam, is originally from Northern Ireland, but the two met in Scotland, where they eventually wed in 2018. Presently, they split their time living between three cities, Los Angeles, Edinburgh, Scotland, and Vancouver, British Columbia. That's in her bio, and it's just really cute. I've known Zibby for a long time. We chat about her education at the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, in addition to her studies at the Steppenwolf West in Los Angeles. And we get to the bottom of her wonderful nickname that has stuck with her throughout her life. And of course, we chat all things Virgin River. It's always great catching up with Zibby. I'll be speaking with her in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Faye Wolf. Faye is an artist, musician, author, and decluttering coach based in Los Angeles. Her beautiful songs have been heard on TV series like Grey's Anatomy, The Fosters, and Pretty Little Liars, and on the new hit Netflix series, Devil in Ohio. Faye founded new, by the way, I'm saying they're beautiful songs. <laughs> I think she describes them as sad songs. I'm saying beautiful songs. Faye founded New Order, her decluttering business, in 2006 and has since guided hundreds of humans toward a happier life with less. Her book, New Order, a decluttering handbook for creative folks and everyone else, was released by Ballantine Random House in 2016 and is now an online course as well. 
Faye has given keynotes at such places as the official Etsy conference and the Soho House, and her work has been praised in numerous publications, including the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and Apartment Therapy. As an actor, Faye has performed on stage across the U.S. and on shows like Two Broke Girls and Bones. She also writes and performs spoken word pieces mainly surrounding her identity as a biracial Black, Jewish, bi-plus human being, and occasionally dabbles in visual art. Faye is another amazing person who I'm proud to know, and I love this conversation. Stick around for Faye's interview. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. Before we move on to interviews, I'm thrilled to welcome back my producer and co-host, Winston Carter. Hello, back with the <laughs> changing the vibe of the show. <laughs> God bless you for it. Wow. I missed you. I missed you the last back, couple weeks. You were you were in you were in a place I uh, I love. I love so deeply. Yeah, I was in Ireland, and yeah. you were in Texas. I was in Texas. Yeah, two very the, different. The, I would say the opposite of Ireland, although there might be crosses. Not that opposite. There's a bri- that I think about. There's it. a brisket. Everybody likes a brisket. Right? Yeah, everyone loves a brisket. Everyone, everyone loves, a loves brisket. It. The Irish love yeah. a brisket. The Texans love a brisket. Um, what were you doing in uh, Texas? You were seeing family, right? Yeah, I've seen some family. So I was out there um, hanging out with fam. Uh, it's where, like, I my family, like, when I was growing up, that's where my grandparents lived because my grandpa worked for NASA. So. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. All right. Yeah, your family, yeah, so- your family history is really interesting, and things that people, family members, did. Yeah, we got we got cool NASA NASA history. So I got to see some some old stuff. Got to see some rockets. Um, it was fun. Eat some good food. What does that mean? You got to see some like they got to keep some of the there's, rockets? No, well, there's a rocket. There's a thing called Rocket Park in. Um, oh my god! Down there in Houston, the, at at Johnson Space Center, and it used to be. This was very frustrating. It used to be, like so. Okay, let me. I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna vent for a minute. We can cut it. It's fine. <laughs> It used to be that ten, we ten minutes go, later. Yeah, for a tour at at NASA, the tour was actually in NASA. Like you would go into the facility. There was like a building that had like a tour that like where you could try on space helmets. And they cool. had this thing called Rocket Park, where like if you've ever seen pictures of like the Apollo, the Saturn V Apollo rocket laying on its side, just outside, and then there's a bunch of other rockets that are upright. That's Rocket Park. Uh, but it's really cool. It was, it, it's still cool. It used to be really cool. Cause like, it was just out and you could just like walk up to it and touch it. And it's a rocket that like, was like, was the in space. Sent to space. Yeah. And there are still like, there's like an Apollo, I'm sure it's a test capsule or something that's in a park that you can like walk up to. Um, but now there's, they built a whole separate years ago, a whole separate area, like a, like a visitor area that I think is owned by Disney. It's kind mm. of, it's got that like, it's cool and there's a lot of cool stuff you can do in it and now they have like a space shuttle that's on top of a 747 there but Mm. to go over to rocket park it used to be you just drive and walk up and now you have to go through this whole disney tour and i didn't so we just like walked up and saw it from the outside well you know what's interesting about this is that like actually i had an experience that sounds a little bit similar to this which was going to the guinness brewery which i've been Mm, to once before and uh the last time i went i've been to ireland now this is my third visit. one on me and the first time i went i went by myself i was um just out of high school i was 18 and i went over there 
and I went to see a couple plays. Uh, I was uh, in the UK at the time, so it was just mm-hmm. a you know a simple flight, yep. and uh, stayed at a hostel and saw some plays. And I walked my ass over to the Guinness Brewery, and this is mm-hmm. before ways. I remember getting lost on the way there. I walked, yep. and it, it's not you know a lot of it's things like in Dublin two are two miles. Yeah, a lot of things in Dublin yeah. are like about a fifteen minute walk, but like this time I was using my yeah. phone all the damn time, like to get yep. everywhere. That time I was like getting directions from people. I finally just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, found St. James's Gate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was the same, the same facility, but it was <laughs> drafty in there. I mean, I think it was like kind of like, uh, come on in. We're, this is where we make this. St-. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. quite that rudimentary, but I think what we were talking about while I was there is that it was still kind of a working brewery yeah, well now is now, th- is. now that section is completely a museum basically mm, yeah and you said you talked about like disney like it it, it, it does have that kind of disneyfied feel to yeah. it it was still very cool it was yeah. very cool i had a great time had my had my you know you get your pint at the top of the gravity mm-hmm. bar yep which is also now twice the size um but yeah that was cool um a good time so we have two really fun guests on this episode mm-hmm. All, both friends, uh, mm-hmm. friends of each other's and friends friends of mine. Yeah, um, I don't know these people. You don't know them at all. <laughs> so Faye, Faye I know Wolf, them now a little more. Yeah, they're both great. And, mm-hmm. you know, Faye Wolf is, once again, another of these multi-hyphenate talented people. Not only has she worked as an actor mm-hmm. on shows like Two Broke Girls and Chappelle's Show and Children's Hospital, she's also a fantastic musician. Uh, like yourself, and her music is currently featured in Daria Politan's Netflix series Devil in Ohio, which is a brand new hit for the streaming platform. I really got to ask Daria to come on here. Um, additionally, Faye has published a wonderful book called New Order, a decluttering handbook for creative folks. Uh, how are you on the old decluttering <laughs> i'm horrible at it i'm i there's clutter everywhere in my life <laughs> i'm i'm slight i i hoard things but i put them in boxes like yeah. a psychopath you've got like a neatness to you like like if i saw like uh like lint on your sweater i'd be surprised <laughs> that's like the vibe you get off sometimes. <laughs> who likes lint on their sweater yeah, well, no saying. one but i'm saying like i i will occasionally <laughs> forget to de-lint my sweater uh-huh. but i feel like you've got like a meticulousness to you'll you. allow it you'll allow yeah. it. uh do you like to reorganize your closet from time to what's your what's your when you when you purge your closet what's your approach i'm very much i i have a problem where i will hoard stuff so i the the active way against that is to try to get rid of stuff as much as possible that's like how i work uh, and I do that with like almost everything. And do you do the um, spark joy method? It's like, I don't, this isn't spark I, and joy. So it's I, not even joy so much as for me, it's like very, very simple necessity. Like I'm very good about, oh, I haven't seen that thing in forever. Uh, I'm just not going to like, oh, if something's sitting long enough to like accumulate dust, I try to go like, okay, I don't need it. And let's get rid of it. Yeah. But then T-shirts. I'll let stuff. Yeah. T-shirts are the hardest things for me to get, to let go of. Mm. I keep yeah, them until they have holes in them. I do have like, I have I have like sentimental stuff and for that I make like accommodations. But in general, I'm actually at a point where I need to go through and like clean out a bunch of stuff and donate a bunch of clothes. But I'm, 
I try to be like, do I wear this? Do I actually do this? Cool. Or, or, or what perp, like, oh, like a suit obviously is one thing, you know, or some dress clothes that I don't wear often. But for the most part, I try to be like, this is the stuff I actually use. Let's just do that and, and not have a bunch of, I'd rather have empty drawers than fill everything with a bunch of shit I don't use. I have an old ET shirt that's like an original ET mm. shirt and I love it. I never you wear it. ET in the movie, right? I was, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. You don't get enough respect. My best work. Yeah. Um, Everyone loves that guy who's in all the all the Haunting on Hill House stuff now, but yeah. you. I never get my flowers for my performance as ET. Uh, <laughs> um, I love this shirt, but it's so old that you're so tickled by that, aren't you? I, I just love the idea of like... <laughs> <laughs> that I'm a, like that I'm a thousand a years old and the well, like you oh I did it as I was a child actor ADT, and now you're like I don't get any respect <laughs> I didn't become a vet like Charlie that would still that actor. would still I'm make still me like a, a 50 year old something actor I love it it's <laughs> just the idea of like, I was everyone had dolls of me and no one knew it it's so funny I got. I saw no residuals from uh, the, from you know the how merchandise. Thin my arms had to be. I got you know no back end on the merchandise. None. None. Oh my god! Incredible. Here now is my interview with the delightful, fun, funny, and super talented Zibby Allen. Right now, season four of Virgin River has just dropped this past July 20th. Yeah. This is a major hit for Netflix. Big congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Um, The show is based on a series of books by writer Robin Carr. Mm -hmm. Uh, Season three had 2.1 billion minutes watched in a period of about a week. Yeah. Yeah. It has a global fan base. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm also guessing that this series costs a little bit less to produce than shows like The Crown or Stranger Things. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a very inexpensive show by comparison. So, <laughs> so I feel like that's a combination that spells very good things for the future of Virgin River. Oh, listen, it's a magical little recipe and they have it down pat. And, you know, the, the sets are sort of, yeah, they just exist because we're up in, we film up in British Columbia and the scenery just is another character in the show. And I think we get away with a lot of uh, production quality that's free because of where we're filming also. So, yeah. Do you have any inkling at this point that Virgin River could, could, go on to be the longest running Netflix series. Oh <laughs> I I couldn't even begin to answer that in any like way. Like even if I thought maybe yes, I think I'm too petrified to to say so because it feels like some weird jinx. I mean, you know, being in a business, there's just there's no assurance whatsoever. Even when you finally book the job and you're on the set, like you, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. There's that sense of safety. I think I may never know. Um mm-hmm. so you know, I think the I think there's a possibility because of the reasons that you say it's a sort of a low cost, very very well received show, so it doesn't break the bank as far as Netflix is concerned. Um, but you never know. Yeah. Well, here's hoping. 
Yeah, totally. All these characters, they're going to have, they'll have kids, and then those kids will become the next, and then the <laughs> your characters will be the parents, and then they'll get older. Oh, yeah. I'll just age on camera. Like, you'll just see all the phases of my life. What's also hilarious is that at a certain point, they're going to have to, if it really goes on that long, they're going to have to time jump in the scripts because from mm-hmm. season to season, they pick up almost like a day or two, no more than a week after where the last season left off. Right, right. But, you know, we don't go back and we don't film that quickly. We film one season a year, basically. So um, That's a good point. That we're is a, aging faster than our characters. <laughs> that's right. That is a conundrum. <laughs> now, you joined Virgin River in season three. You play Bree Sheridan. Uh, I believe the youngest Sheridan sibling. Yeah. And you quickly became a fan favorite. And uh, Brie is, has been, she was returning home, I guess, after perhaps escaping the life that she was living. Is that right? Yeah. It's, now it's not a spoiler alert because season three came out and everyone knows that Brie actually suffered a sexual assault with her um, right. partner. Yeah. In, uh, in her, where she was living in Sacramento, Northern California. And so, yeah, she flees Sacramento to go to Virgin River under the guise of checking in on her older brother, Jack, played by Martin Henderson, one of the male lead heartthrobs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she's kind of avoiding her painful past and looking for some, some solace in Virgin River, as does every character on the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Virgin River does for people. Yeah, she has a, a bit of a mysterious, perhaps, past. And she's got some serious, heavy traumatic baggage that she's dealing with and yeah she, but she's also got grit to her and she's process processing her ptsd yeah and she's still working as a lawyer um and as i understand it she and the character of brady have become a focus for the fans yes they have a hashtag there or like a ship name briati which does not quite go. have the ring to it that a ship you know. name and a hashtag <laughs> You gotta, yeah, they, people, what's, what's hilarious and like mildly uncomfortable more so for my husband is that the fans who really ship Brady and Brie, um, like monthly do mashup videos of us making out in all the different episodes to like really emotional music and then tag me and, um, there's a word for these things. What are they called? They, oh, is there? Yeah, there's a there's a term for these kinds of videos. Do they have the sparkly lights in them and stuff? Yes, it's so. Yeah, I don't. I'm, maybe I, I'm just too old to not know what these things are called, but I know they exist. Yeah. Okay, so this is a trend. This is something. It's a social that, like, media trend. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I feel mm-hmm. so old. And if anybody wants to do one for me for my podcast, please, please do. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do it. Is I'm that... gonna have to make it myself. I'm sure. <laughs> So, and then there's a bit of a love triangle maybe happening with another character, Mike. Is that right? Am I understanding yes. everything correctly? God, you're killing it right now. Like, your knowledge of what's happening in Virgin River is impressive. Yes, there's a... Well, so the other character who makes up this love triangle um, is played by this actor, Marco Grazzini, who is a love and very talented. And he mm. plays, yeah, Mike, Venezuela in the show. In the books... Brie and Mike are the ones who have the love affair of all times. I mean, oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. So I read the the first uh, book where Brie shows up. There's like 20 books of Robin Cars. It's like I a know. 20 book. <laughs> Listen, IP can't hate, can't Fantastic. knock it. Yeah. Um, and it's a very steamy romance between Brie and Mike. And so fans who read the books are so obsessed with the idea of Brie and Mike. So there's this other hashtag going around, kids these days, um, hashtag team Mike 
or break as they call it, or hashtag team Briati Bree. So it's a it's a whole thing. It's a very divided audience. Incredible. And now, as I understand <laughs> it, you you were also a viewer and a fan of the show before you were in it. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, look, I, when the audition came down the pipeline. I was like, okay, I've been seeing the show on my Netflix feed. What is the deal? And so my husband and I turned it on as research, and we we ended up staying up till like 3 in the morning binging the entire first season of Virgin River because there's something about it. Like, it's very gentle viewing. I say it's kind of like a mix between Gilmore Girls, Parenthood, and Northern Exposure, if you're old mm. enough to yeah. recognize. There's yeah, a sure. lot of, like, community, family, friend, ensemble storylines that are gentle but sort of meaningful but don't leave you with an anxiety attack at the end of the night, you know, when you're done watching. It's it's good to you, you know? So we just kind of consumed it like crazy. And it, it was nice to go into a show where I kind of wanted to live in my own mind, you know? There's, there's a fantasy fulfillment component to that show i think how much do you know so when you're on a show like this and it's do you feel after a while that does it ever blur the lines where you do feel like you're living in the world kind of you're shooting you're shooting on location right you're not it's not Mm -hmm. on a sound stage is it we have a stage um that we use part-time um the inside of Jack's Bar, which is an iconic location for the show, is actually on a soundstage. Um, the outside is a real location up in Squamish, um, which is close to Whistler. It's on the way to Whistler, if you guys, if anyone knows British Columbia. So, yeah, but yes, like the lines do get blurred in a, in a tiny sense because it we are shooting mostly on location. And also the people on the show feel like my community and... A lot of the dynamics on the show are similar <laughs> off screen, you know? Um, yeah, like Nicola, who plays Connie, she's just this cantankerous, tell you like it is, um, older character on the show, and she's so beloved, like to the fans. Honestly, I want to call her Connie half the time because she's as bold and sort of brash in the best grandma way ever in real life. So, yes, the lines can sometimes get blurred. Uh, and I understand Martin Henderson is a sort of plays a little bit, uh, te- tease, pokes fun, teases. Uh, yeah, there's definitely brother sister vibes there for sure. There's. There's a kinship that just was automatic, and then, yeah, he loves to take the piss out of me. Like, just absolutely loves it. <laughs> now, you've, you've talked about the charm of a story that takes place in a small town. Um, you grew up originally in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. Were, were you a city kid, or were you a suburb kid? Um, city kid for a little bit, and then suburbs for the majority of my upbringing, just south of uh, the Bay Area in Mountain View, where it's most infamous for Google headquarters. Oh, um, right. Okay. Yeah. So even my father still lives there, um, and my mom was living nearby in another little town, Sunnyvale. So that's mostly where I grew up. And then I moved back up to San Francisco when I was like 17 to go to the American Conservatory Theater. Yes, that's right. So now you did that. So that was undergrad for you. Is that right? Or does it, does yeah. it doesn't really mean anything? I don't know. Like some, with Juilliard, I know they, I'm sure they, I don't even know. I'm sure they offer a BFA and an MFA, but I know it's also like kind of you can go to just 
conservatory, right? Yes, yeah. So ACT obviously has the grad program, and it's um, a really wonderful, prestigious program. And then they have summer programs, and you can take the odd class there. And they had a youth program as well. My case was really unique in that in high school, I was obviously doing theater, and I had I was doing um, a high school rendition of Bertolt Brecht's the Caucasian Shock Circle. Thank you very much. High school much. version? Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, no, I mean, That's we were just funny. doing it in high school, but playing adults. But it was, you know, like, yeah. what are we doing? You know, but <laughs> Craig Slate, who was the um, head of the youth department at ACT, happened to be at that show and approached me afterward and said, we'd love to give you a scholarship to come and study at the American Conservatory in the youth program. And then in that same year, they developed a program called the New Plays Program where a select group of us would work with playwrights on new works and mount them on the professional stages. And so I kind of got this in-depth, almost grad school-like education while I was going to college. So I graduated a year early from high school and moved up and went to San Francisco State and uh, and did this new plays program for several years in San, in San Francisco. So it was kind of this unique little pocket. I don't even think they have that program anymore. That's a, that's wonderful. And then, so in terms of your training then, Bracton, I asked a lot of folks this question because I have folks on who've been at a conservatory at, you know, it, literally just before speaking with you, I was interviewing uh, another actor who was uh, went through the USC program. Mm. And I like asking folks, you know, so what were some of the, what was like the emphasis in terms of the discipline you were learning? Was it a sort of more Strasbourg approach? Was it an Adler or Meisner approach? Well, there, I recall a lot of Stanislavski, <laughs> um, yeah. but we learned all. It was, um, we were sort of multi, uh, what's the word? Disciplinary. Um, yeah. Craig wanted to introduce us to everything. I remember doing Meisner. He recommended countless, I mean, I just have, I still have like a stack of books from almost every discipline um, in my library now that I just dug into because Craig was of the mind that like there's really something to source from every discipline. And, yeah, I yeah. certainly agree with that. And I think, you know, going back and rereading an actor prepare is like has got some great mm-hmm. insights in it. I mean, it, it's pretty sharp. It holds up very well. And, you know, totally. his his sort of uh, organic shift, I think, in his his approach from emotional life of the actor to uh behavioral life of the character is also significant and plays out i think with some of these other practitioners um oh you make me want to read it like right now because i honestly always feel like i forget how to act (laughs) and i panic and then the minute someone starts talking like you just hearing i'm like i need to go like dive into that book right now and yeah but yes i agree with that now i just want to read yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I didn't. I, I, I've talked about it on here a little bit, but it's, I didn't read these books when I was working as a kid, or or then going through college. I, I even all through college, and I don't think I read a single acting book. I was just yeah. talking again, just previously, with someone with uh, an actor who was talking about, you know, they did a BA at USC, and so what that meant was it was a lot of reading the books. 
Yeah. And not so much just getting up and doing it and trying mm. the exercises themselves, you know. Mm. So and I was more, my training was much more like get up and do the exercises and mm. not so much read the book. So I read the books later. Mm. And um, yeah, it is incredibly, I find it, it's not, it's, it hasn't gotten boring for me. No. No, it's great. And, you know, Craig had us, it, he was get up and do the thing. And it was always recommended reading, but I'm such a, like an eager beaver student. And I really just was so in love. And I also understood, thankfully, what a rare opportunity it was to have my education at ACT paid for, like on scholarship. And so mm. I just consumed these books in my off time. But when we were there, it was all doing the exercises and being in it, um, which I'm so glad for. Yeah, absolutely. So mm. can you talk a little about, I understand that Zibby is a nickname yeah. <laughs> that you got growing up. Your birth name is Elizabeth. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah. So they're both great names. How did you get the nickname Zibby? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it came from, a, you know, a family friend who was a, my parents' friend's child who couldn't pronounce Elizabeth. And it just was, it came out Zibby. I actually don't remember because it happened so young that I thought for the longest time, Claude, that my name was Zibby until I saw my birth certificate. no joke because my parents were like a little you know we went to like Waldorf school there was a lot of like you know and I never saw like legal paperwork and everyone just called me Zibby so when I saw that I was furious I was like excuse me parents what is this and they were like yes that was the original concept I'm like the original concept (laughs) the working title it was the working title yeah I've got I've got a slightly hippie-ish mother um yeah, so I, then I tried to, like, ins- I insisted people call me Elizabeth, which did not fly. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, this is my time. Like, this is where I get a break free from Zibby. I was positive I wanted to be Elizabeth Charles. Don't ask me where the Charles came from. It just sounded right. <laughs> In SAG. And, like, finally I was going to be taken seriously as, like, a dramatic actress. And um, the first class I got into when I was in L.A., I was, like, 20 about three months in, a guy from San Francisco who I had studied with waltzed into class. Apparently, he had moved to LA, oh, and, and he was, was like, screwed. "Yeah, he was like Zibby," and everyone's head turned like they like everything clicked for them. They were like, "What?" I'm like, "That's not. I don't do that anymore." But of course, like my <laughs> my first agent referral came out of that class, so the agents knew me as Zibby. And then when I told them like, "If you want to sign me, just so you know, I'm going to change my name to SAG," and they were like, "Absolutely not. We won't sign you unless you stay Zibby because." Zibby's who you are. <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah, so it's, I could never escape it. I mean, it's it's a great name. It's super, it's a, yeah, it's a great name. I can't argue with that. I, I mean, so, so, is, so, is, so is Elizabeth. Elizabeth Charles, I think. It, I, mean, I, I think I like Elizabeth Charles the most. Thank you so much. That is very validating. And who knows? Like now, maybe I can because I've just like I've learned a little leverage. But like, yeah. No, I think Elizabeth Charles is amazing and dignified. Zibby, this is so embarrassing. I'm probably going to ask you to cut this out or not. But someone wrote me once. So on my Instagram, one of my nicknames, additional nicknames, was Zibby Lou. Growing up, like friends would be like Zibby Lou. And so mm-hmm. back when I didn't think anyone would even notice. I just became, Zibby Lou was my handle on Instagram. And then someone wrote me, this is years ago now. They're like, you know, 
I don't know what language it was. Maybe in maybe in Arabic even. Like zibi means dick, and lou it oh, means no. is a bathroom. So basically, you're a dick bathroom. <laughs> and I was oh, like, no. self esteem shattered. Oh my god, I gotta look that up. <laughs> Oh my God. We've got to find out. I don't know if I even looked it up. I just remember like hearing that and being like, okay, cool. Well, that's Zib- fun. Zibby as a word for dick is very, char- it's a charming word for that. <laughs> um, so you're, are you saying with regard to your folks, San Francisco Bay Area, mom was mm-hmm. a bit of a hippie. I mean, are they very much the product of their uh, generation environment in that way? Like it was like... Were they wearing flowers in their hair? Or, I don't no. know. Far more complicated than that. They were definitely a product, as all, all of us are to a degree, of their environment and upbringing. But, yeah. And they both great, grew up in the Bay Area. Um, my mom, I would say, sort of fits that Bay Area like <laughs> stereotype of her demographic, like her age and demographic. She's a therapist. She likes the flowing um, you know, the, yeah. you know, outfits, yeah, the outfits, the jewelry. Um, she likes to talk a lot about feelings. And my dad, though, act is um, went a totally different direction. I think he grew up a little bit hippie, and then he became very religious. Um, mm, okay. And he went down that direction. I yeah. think that I think that happens. Yeah, it does. It certainly does. Especially when there's you know not to reveal too much, but especially when there's like heaviness and trauma in, in someone's life, you you yeah. can sometimes understand what brings people to religion. Yeah, I mean, I think like yeah, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I still catch myself praying. You Absolutely. Know, like, I, I'm not. I'm not doing much more than that. But like, I'm submitting to a higher power of something. Oh, hoping. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Same. Uh, yeah. You know, like my folks. Maybe my folks are a little older than yours. And I wonder. But they were. The way they described it, so like hippie generation, is that they were kind of like seniors when the freshmen were starting. To <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> so that they were a little bit like, what's going on with them? You know. Um, but uh, so, all right. So then, then I've spoken now to at least a couple actors who've made the move to it, the Atlanta market, mm-hmm. or they've been based there um, the whole this whole time. I think you might be the second actor I've interviewed who ha- has made this move to Canada. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And now this is during what was the sort of the previous migration of actors out of LA. I would I would consider. Before the recent sort of exodus to Atlanta, you would hear from time to time folks moving up to Canada. Mm. And I even remember you maybe posting about your plans Mm. and to move up there. How did you know that Canada was the right move for you? I mean, I definitely did not know it was right. But I was at the time I'd fallen in love with my now husband, um, Adam, Mm -hmm. who was living in Scotland. And so I was going between LA and Scotland. It was a very expensive beginning how did you mind am I asking? How did the both of you meet? We met. I, I was there doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Hmm. He was running a Mexican restaurant in Scotland, and he's okay. a, he's an Irishman running a Mexican <laughs> restaurant in Scotland. 
Then oh that restaurant happened to be on the footpath to um, and from the venue where I was performing. So I'd walk by all the time and see this like really handsome dude in the window. And uh, I was like, yes, I will. I will make an attempt on to make out with that person before I leave. And then it turned into this really like epic love affair, which I won't bore you with right now because it's a whole other podcast. But so many things lined up and it was so extraordinary and caught us way off guard. Um, and so we ended up falling for each other and yeah, like going back and forth. So I was so in love and still am that I would have, I was planning to move to Scotland and just sort of like give it all up. And my Fucking managers, a. yeah, and my managers at the time, they were like, we would love to pitch you the idea instead of like Vancouver because Adam being Northern Irish is part of the Commonwealth British Columbia is part of the Commonwealth. He'd have an easier time getting a visa there. There's so much that films up there. Maybe you could commute between BC and LA for a little bit as you guys figure out how to be together. And I was like, and I, so I was just like, who yeah. Are, who are these t- thoughtful, <laughs> thoughtful talent reps who, I mean, they, gosh, look at all that. They believe in you so much. They give a shit. Yeah, it was amazing. And they work this idea out that is sweet. Yeah. And it, that's a that's a wonderful thing. You are you still with these folks? Funnily, no. We actually parted ways. Um, but I'm so grateful for what we accomplished together. And it was yeah. amicable the way we parted ways. It was just the right timing for a number of reasons that I don't have to get into right now. But I'm super grateful for that. And it was. It was so thoughtful. And it worked out well. Because I just totally trusted. I was like, well, if it means I can be with Adam and I can still try and do what I love and I've got my rep supporting me, let's try it. So we showed up to Vancouver sight unseen the dog and the car and whatever we could fit in it yeah and you were so you were still planning to be an actor yeah and so and then but you're and you have these reps but mm-hmm. then so then are they they're getting you appointments there all of a they, sudden they they actually set me up with reps here in Canada so that that I could, you know, audition locally as well. And that was incredible, truly, because it's a smaller market. You know, it's a secondary market, but tons, as you probably know, films up here. And Mm -hmm. there was something that gave me a little more cachet, having been from L.A. and my resume was attractive because it's just a greener pool here, a great pool of talent, but just smaller and greener. And so... I got to gain a momentum that, like, honestly, I thought was the kind of momentum I'd have when I, like, first got to L.A. And, you know, just was really proud of the fact that I could cry on cue and, like, I starred in a couple of plays. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then I didn't have that experience. Most of us don't in Los Angeles. It was so much more stop-start. And I wouldn't trade that. But I finally got to get, like, yeah, gain some ground the minute I got here. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And so now, previously to Virgin River, you collected many television film credits, um, such as The Good Doctor, The Flash, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Bates Motel, and The Exorcist. Uh, You're also known for your recurring role as the beloved Madame Gugu. God, this research is so impressive, Claude. What even? On the Disney show Ant Farm, which was a... Am I saying that right, or is it A&T Farm? No, you are saying it correct. It's Ant Farm. This is a character that was lightly spoofing pop star Lady Gaga, as I understand yes, it. Is that sure correct? Was. Yes, terribly spoofing. Just terribly spoofing. But. <laughs> now, I've spoken... Well, I know that you are... I know that you have a lot of fans for this character. Do you... So, now, I've spoken to actors about working with young people... Uh, young actors. I, and I feel like, I got to say, though, I feel like a sitcom for kids has got to require just a huge amount of energy. I mean, uh. were you living on coffee? 
I would joke that after sh- shooting or even rehearsing, like my face would hurt from just like mugging so big. It was just like, na 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 like always. It was just so massive. But those kids are so remarkable. Like anytime I've worked with children, especially in that realm of like Disney, sitcom, funny, I don't know where these kids come from, but they have copious amounts of energy probably because of their youth but their talent is so inspiring really it was invigorating because I just wanted to keep up with them and their energy level and their pace and I loved it that's great yeah fun and you worked with some great folks on there uh other actors uh Dom Dom who I I was in a class with who is lovely I mean absolute legend I love that human being yeah I gotta have him on here you really um, ought to. He's doing, I mean, he's working all the time. That guy is just killing it. Yeah. He, what is his last name? Um, Burgess. Burgess? Burgess. Yeah, English mm-hmm. actor. Mm-hmm. Um, has been living in the States for a long time. And yeah, I was in a class with him. Just a, a very talented person and clearly a very uh, sort of uh, busy person. Like, does a lot of writing and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah directing and things. So, and then you, before that show, you were also one of the recurring nurse characters on Grey's Anatomy, which was a kind of a thing at the time. There were these, there was a pool of yeah. young people that were on Grey's Anatomy at the very beginning. You mentioned our friend Carrie Carney, I think was one of those folks as well. Was your wife? Was she on it? I can't no, remember. Uh, I don't I know like... that Kath was, but there was a, I mean, Sarah Utterback. Well, no, Sarah Utterback was a... She kind of had like a juicy part. She on had that, a big part, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, but we knew a bunch of our, but totally. a bunch of friends of ours that were doing it. You were one of them. You mm-hmm. played Nurse Zibby, which is <laughs> very creative on the part of the writing team. Yeah, they really worked hard. Name. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my question about that was uh, going to be about Steppenwolf West. I was curious about that. Did mm-hmm. you? So you were taking those classes with Jeff Perry. Uh, Jeff Perry's wife is Linda Lowy, who is the casting director, was the casting director for Shondaland, I think is now the casting director maybe for HBO Max. I believe that's true, like in the last couple of years. I actually never studied with Jeff. I only studied with Tom Irwin. But oh, yeah, I, okay. Yeah, but then, you know, because they, they're colleagues and friends, and so the community gets small pretty quickly, and I think I took a workshop with Linda, so I was familiar with her through Tom and Jeff, yeah. Yeah. Which, which surely is how I got the audition in the first place. And did you... How did you find out about the Steppenwolf West program? This is a program which I'm sure is still happening. Yeah, it is. It is. Tom's still teaching, I know. I don't yeah. know about Jeff because he's been so busy, but but so is Tom. So I don't know. But um, I think I found out about it through Carrie Carney. We've mentioned her name now like four times. I mean, she, How did you and Carrie meet? Carrie and I met in our first acting class. Um, it was the Actors Lab with a teacher named J.D. Lewis who was great but also a bit of a living nightmare like he really positioned himself as, a, as um, one of those gurus that like if you didn't mm, yeah. yes and him like you were just horrible and you're never going to work but it brought a lot it, like that class brought me to a lot of people who I consider lifers for friends like Carrie Carney walked up to me at the end of like class five and she's like hey can I talk to you for a second and if you know Carrie she's very severe she has like one eyebrow that's always like a little bit up and raised and you're like always feeling slightly judged um but she's a ge- she's literally a genius I she am she's a genius she's a comedic genius she's from Boston which I love about her yeah she is very of Boston 
she is. She's an outstanding human to she's know She's from her Lowell, as... I think, which is where she my is. mother is from. That's right, because you're in Massachusetts as well. My parents uh, are, from, yeah, born and raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, I have questions about that. Can I interview you? Because I was sure. reading your bio. Okay. <laughs> but quickly, she was like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I was just like, no self-esteem. Zibby being like, um, yeah, sure. Like, and she's like, so I've been thinking. Like, we were like in the corner of the dark theater. And she, I, was, I was like, yeah. She's like, I think you're great. I mean, you're super talented, Mm -hmm. and I think we should be best friends. Like, she proposed to me, and I was like, are you serious? She's like, yes, what do you say? And I was like, yes, okay. And the next week, she came over to my house. At the time, I was living in boring Century City with a pretty humdrum uh, partner. I'm sure I was, like, flipping through a Pottery Barn magazine at, like, 23, just, like, hoping for the phone to ring. And she showed up, and she's like, hey, I just happen to be in the neighborhood. Here are three sexy tops. This is a whole kit and caboodle of makeup. That one eyebrow should be two. Come with me. We're going dancing. And that was, like, oh my God. the end of it. Like, she she really, she yeah. is She is super fun. That is such a funny story about Carrie. And, yeah, she, I mean, and I love that, uh... Uh, I love that, like, because I think as an adult now, it's like that idea of like making a new friend just seems almost impossible. <laughs> totally. I like doing these interviews because I feel like it does give me a chance to ch- chat with people that I already know and like, and it's it, I get a little get to know them a little bit better, and I think like that's such mm-hmm. a lovely thing. But I would love to do that to somebody, like go up and be like, but I would be I would be pepper sprayed. I think that. <laughs> I don't care who it is, man, woman. They, I mean, because it's such a forward thing, and it's you, only Carrie can pull something only like that Carrie off. Only Carrie can pull that off, and I swear to you, to this day, she would probably. Do, she's probably done it. She just she she knows she has a way. Also, I should say she's now a brilliant writer, and she's. Yeah, let's shout her out. Yeah, seriously, she is a real. I just have to say it because I just finished reading one of her scripts, and I'm just like, this person needs to get all of her things made. She's outstanding. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. So now you've also worked as a producer and mm-hmm. you, you've also worked as a host of a very popular podcast called Small Town Dicks, which was a true crime podcast that looks mm-hmm. at the big time crime that's happening in small town USA. Yeah. And and I understand you have a new project that you're working on. You're working with a writing partner. You've obtained the life rights to a fascinating woman. Is this right? Name, yeah. Is it Maggie Underwood? Aggie. Aggie, Aggie Underwood. Aggie, Aggie yeah. Underwood. Mm-hmm. She was, this is the first, do you mind my talking a little bit about what I, Gosh, what I no. heard yeah. you say about it? Yeah. This is the first female editor-in-chief of any newspaper, mm-hmm. specifically the Los Angeles Herald back in the 1930s, and she covered all of the true crimes that happened in Los Angeles at the time. Is that, am yeah, I right like, so far? Yeah. Where are you getting this? Like, you did a deep dive, Claude. Like, <laughs> I'm going to hire you to spy on someone. <laughs> well, I, you, clearly there's a theme for you in this sort of detective stuff and small crime, small town crime stuff. Although, well, LA you know, small town crime, but. right, right. But true, crime, true, true, true crime. crime. I mean, look, I'm probably like most people, true crime is fascinating to me. And, um, it wasn't that I was chasing up another true crime project, but our mutual friend, Alicia. Yeah. Um, Oxy. Yeah. Oxy. Yeah. She mm-hmm. came to me with this project. She's the one who obtained the rights to Aggie Underwood's life. She, she did, you know, she, she spent years working on Aggie's story and um, communicating with her estate and her living grandson. And so she brought me on because she was a fan of my podcast. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're I gotta tell now folks developing to check it. out. The interview with Alicia. Which yes. episode was it? It's episode 19. 
She's great. She's, she's wonderful. And she has, she has her own actor podcast, which is excellent. And she's been very mm-hmm. gracious and chatting with me and had me on one of her episodes. She's been on one of my episodes. Love it. Um, and I know that she was working on, She's she has a slate of projects that she's working on herself. And well, this sounds like a wonderful, fascinating person to, uh, to do a... Are you thinking a television series? Yeah, we were we were looking at, um, and we still might, like starting it as a podcast slash sort of radio play just because of the era that it was in. And um, it's yeah. so colorful and vibrant and we could hear it sort of like a, a radio play. But yes, ultimately, I think it's a piece of IP that wants to be on TV. It's sort of like Boardwalk Empire meets Nurse Jackie. She, you know, Aggie Underwood herself is just fascinating barnacle of a woman, like really controversial, really contradictory she was kind of this raging alcoholic um illiterate when she started her career in journalism and then like but also a mother and a really good mother um for a lot of her life and and so she and she was like best friends with mobster mickey cohen but then she would solicit confessions like for the lapd who just did terrible job you know she was she was She's kind of amazing woman, and the opening to her biography is "I am no feminist." But then you look at her whole life story and the way she worked for women who were convicted for murdering their abusive husbands and getting them out. You know, and you're like, mm. "Were you not a feminist though?" Mm. So I just think there's a really good. It's, there's some good good there. Uh, it'd be fun yeah. to watch. So it we'll sounds see. fun to watch. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like it would be great. And I so and what else? What is your fascination also with this idea of crime? And in terms mm. of, do you are you do you suffer from a recurring nightmare of some sort of a home <laughs> break in home invasion sort of a thing? I, I you know I'll tell you like for for me it's like I very much have anxieties about crime. So much so though that I probably don't indulge in watching. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was a Netflix series recently that was about what was it called, The Night Prowler or something. It was like yeah. a series that was about a serial killer in the San Fernando Valley, and I'm like, no, I can't, Horrible. I can't do it. You know, <laughs> look, I mean, I'm with you, and there's some. I think there's a an actual statistic that like the majority of true crime obsessed audience is women, and I think. Hmm. Maybe the reason for that is because 99% of crime happens to women. Hmm. And so there's this piece where we're always looking for how we would handle it, what to look out for, um, sort of think ahead. I mean, I don't know if you feel this way and you might, but like, I don't, there's not an evening where I can just like take the dog for a walk. Maybe it's a little different. You know what I mean? And so I think there's that component. There has to be some correlation between that and the fascination. Um, yeah. But no, but no reoccurring nightmares for me. I was attacked when I first moved to LA, like in a really like crazy way, but totally fine, like unscathed, but just shockingly yeah. attacked out of nowhere. And I don't think about it much, but maybe it sort of plays in my subconscious. Oh, I'm sure it does. I'm sure yeah. that 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 like lives in your body somewhere. It's like when yeah. you you have an experience like that, I think it lodges itself somewhere. Yes, um, for sure. Yeah, I think like my experiences have been pretty okay, and I've been in you know, rough neighborhoods in multiple cities. And, you know, I have been approached it, it, on in at least two cities in scary ways, but... Uh, like by muggers or something? Yeah, but I th- I've been lucky and that, you know, just didn't, like, 
I don't think in either case any like it didn't happen. Like I didn't get mugged. It almost happened. And did you give your wallet or whatever away, or just like I was ready to? Yeah. Um, it just uh. didn't come to that, and I think that you know it was it was like in the first situation, it was the fact that other people. I was with a friend. This is in the UK. Mm. and there was another and then I, there was just other people just started walking sort of where we were and that scared these folks off and then here in it happened once to me in LA I went to see a show at uh, Cinespia a movie and decided yeah. I would walk home and mm. that was a little bit of hubris like just that area too it's not great it's like walking up i was like walking up vine street yeah and um you know it was a similar kind of thing where it's like it was one person and it was like this could get bad and then it just i just called an uber and was able to talk my way out of it getting worse and worse but they were sort of saying like hey come hang out with me around the corner it was like that kind of a thing where it was whoa like, excuse me i was being kind of propositioned and whoa. Uh, but then i was like it you know you know not that i was weighing it but I, <laughs> but I, my assumption was that the it could end very badly around the corner of course so wow yeah. unnerving i yeah, remember unnerving. not too long ago i was walking somewhere i was on location in Victoria, actually. And so I was by myself and I was walking from my hotel to, or back from getting a bite to eat to my hotel. And I just felt so uncomfortable. It was like no one else was on the road and it was two people. And I just felt them really keyed into me, two guys. Um, and so I had seen this on a true crime thing. Mm. I pulled out my phone and I started talking really loudly. I was like, wait, where are you? I think I see you. Do you see me waving? And just totally pretended Smart. and that I, someone was just around the corner and I was like, oh yeah, I see you. And I just started running toward them and laughing into the phone, like probably like a crazy maniacal person, but I was trying to make it seem like, oh, it's a group of friends I'm meeting. Um, incredible. Yeah, but like that was from a true crime thing. So, you know, a lot of knowledge gets dropped. Go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My wife is always preparing for the zombie apocalypse. That's the thing that she talks about often. And she, okay. anything zombie related, she is, she's in, you know. What does she do to prepare? Like, is there anything I should add to my emergency I mean, kit? She likes talking about her plans and everything. I don't think she's bought any, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I don't know that she's outfitted the home or anything with, <laughs> with booby traps or anything. But I think that. <laughs> You know, but she loves talking about like, you know, we, you know, what is what are the things she might say? It, it's conversations about if we're separated from the kids, then it's, yes, like, she talks about it like it was an earthquake, but she's talking about a zombie apocalypse. Like it's it's an imminent. You get this kid. I'll get that kid. We'll meet wow. at this landmark. and But we're not talking about a natural disaster. I mean, it sounds like mildly fantasy as well. Like she's kind of like, could be fun. <laughs> could, could be fun. Could be really somatic. <laughs> so what's, and so what do you have, what else is next for you here? Now this season has just come out. Yeah. You're, and they, this is one of those shows where with Virgin River where they put the whole season out at once. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So what are you doing with your time these days? Well, we just started filming season five, so I'm off today, but I'm on tomorrow. So, yeah, so yeah. we'll be filming that through end of November. And then, um, and then, how much who knows? of a break did you get between this season coming out or finishing production on season four? I guess and... it was what, January, February, March, April, May. Okay. June. So it's five months, five, five and a half months. That's kind of cool that it's like, it's come out 
season four has come out and now you're going into production and they're close together. It's like, it's so fresh for you. Yeah. Yeah. That must be helpful. Right. Because in terms of keeping a sort of consistency of who the character is and where you were when you were filming six months ago, that's got to help. Right. I think, I think it's more fun for us in the audience because the audience has to wait for like a year for every new season to come out. I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that that gets shortened if we continue on because conceivably we could do two seasons in one year and, Mm. You know, so, and maybe that happens. We'll see. We'll see what they the did future incre- holds. As I understand, they did increase your episode count. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, we were, we were 10. We went up to 12. Starting season four, we'll do 12, season five. Um, but for me, it's great. For the cast, it's great because, yeah, we're all watching. I mean, we got a preview before it came out, but like we're watching basically the show with the audience while we go into season five. And so there's a real like buoyancy and excitedness because we're feeling how well received the show is we're getting feedback about what worked um and it's created a little bit of an energetic momentum going into this next season that feels nice that's great well congratulations on that and finally uh where can people find you online well zibby lou (laughs) (laughs) you guys i can't get rid of it i don't think they let you change your handle so i'm on instagram i feel like i joined tiktok i'm still learning it um i i'm not really on twitter like what what are the cool kids where do i go next claude where do we go twitch twitch is the the latest i think but what do you do on twitch don't you have to play video games or something yeah you play video games or something no i think you can i think you can do this i think you can host a show uh and by the way it's not just for young people there are plenty of middle-aged people who are on twitch (laughs) we have we have some contemporaries there yeah i don't have time for any of it i don't have time i barely have any time to be on you're like i don't barely have time for you zibby right now is what you're saying i barely have time for those And no, this is the thing I enjoyed. This is where I can put my attention because this feels uh, nutritional for me and hopefully for the listeners. And I think like that, this is what what I can do. I can do this and then uh, just sort of be a parent and audition and those sorts of things. But um, I wish I could do my daily TikTok check-in with people. I don't do that. I just don't have time to do it anymore. Who has the time? I'm amazed anybody who's on a series the way that you are, that those folks do have the time. And I know a lot of those folks are parents as well. I don't know how folks do it. I don't either. I was just talking about this last night with my girlfriends. I'm like, I guess people hire people to do it, but I don't feel like I'm that fancy. And also, if I'm gonna put something out there, it wants I want to feel like it's personal and and real, not yeah. curated. But like, yes, it's it's the constant social media conundrum, existential crisis. I Means like, who can even? But you know, half the time I hate it, half the time I'm obsessed with it. It's a weird dance. It um, is a weird dance. But you know what? Like what you're doing, um, and it's why I was so excited to jump on is because like you're you're engaging in substantive conversations that are so like just easy and real and meaningful versus like these short clips of like look how great my life is it's um i mean the titles of your podcast is perfect (laughs) but yeah i mean like this is i in my opinion this is time well spent you know screw tiktok oh thank you so much that's very very generous of you and uh, that is definitely how i i like to feel about these interviews well Zibby, this has been lovely. It's so great catching up with you. I'm yeah, always enjoy chatting with you. And um, thanks for doing this interview. I'm thrilled for your success. Thank One that you. feels like it really happened on your on your terms, which is so yeah. exciting and cool yeah. and inspiring. And I wish you continued success, safety, and good health. 
Thanks, Claude. Also, give my love to your beautiful wife. I haven't seen her in so long. Catherine, tell her I say you. hello. I will do. Thanks, Zibby. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Zibby Allen. A big thanks again to Zibby for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with folks like Alyssa Lim Paris, Leonard Robinson, Claiborne Elder, Beth Risegraff, Susie Abramite, Gil McKinney, Sufi Bradshaw, and Ji Young Han coming in the next few weeks. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, Chantal Tui, Patrick Adams, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram at things are going great for me. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Faye Wolf. This is one of the most candid chats I think I've had with anyone about the acting business. We also talk about her navigating the rigorous conservatory program at Boston University, which used to feature an infamous cut system, chatting a little about the early days in L.A. and how Faye found incredible talents that existed in addition to and outside of her life as an actor. We also chat all things decluttering and her self-proclaimed sad songs. I love this chat, and so will you. Here now is the wonderful Faye Wolf. So anyway, so this was this was fun because I just interviewed our friend uh, Zibby Allen. Oh, Zibby! And uh, we had a wonderful chat, and uh, no surprise. And mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because I feel like you and I have a similar thing in how we know each other, which is that like we know each other in a very Los Angeles way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. Yeah, and, years. And and at the same time, it's hard for me to pinpoint the exact moment when I met you. And I bet you feel the same way. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I So funnily enough, I think I can pinpoint the exact moment when I met your wife. Uh, yeah, which I think was through Sarah Utterback so many years oh, ago. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And then I feel like... We've met through Nate Cordry mm-hmm. and, but I don't know if that was the first time we met or who it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter. All we know is that we like each other. We do. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> you know, so we have these friend circles that intersect in different ways and, or multiple ways. And, you know, like I would get to see you and hang out with you at the occasional fun house party or bar in Echo Park. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you still going to bars in Echo Park? Is anyone in Echo Park no. going to bars? Like, no I, one's going to bars I, now. There are a lot of reasons why I'm not a going lot of to reasons, bars yeah. right now. Pandemic being one of them. I'm, I have not gone to many bars in the last three years at all. And I, God, I miss it. Yeah, I, I went to Hotel Cafe the other night and I hadn't been mm. there since pre-pan and it was very lovely to order a drink from the bar and listen to live music and but also to feel like it was something special and I was like well I'm not going to do this again for a while probably yeah it was yeah it was lovely 
And yeah, I just, I just, pandemic, age, fatigue, money, like all the things. You're yeah. just like, I can't go to bars all the time. My wife and I were talking like before the pandemic happened, I remember we had talked about it would be fun or would it be fun to go to one of those like actual nightclubs again of which like the first few years in L.A. like that was part of that was part of the scene was like, should we go out to like a club and can we get into the club? And like this is a thing that we were doing. I was doing a little (laughs) bit of in my 20s, which is, by the way, I would say like was never the person who could just breathe breeze through the door of one of these fancy nightclubs in wow. Hollywood. But every once in a while, it was like, so-and-so has got a table, you know, or so-and-so knows a door person, and we're <laughs> going to get in at this place. And so we were talking a little bit about, like, would it be fun now, a little bit more well-heeled, to just go... Oh my goodness! And just have it, and just go to dance. Just okay. <laughs> just for the, the dancing, you know. That for me would be the only reason. That would be the really the only yeah. reason, you know, not wrestling for a drink and not all the yeah. other nonsense. But right. the dancing does seem kind of like where it's like reverberating through your body, like that. I miss sure. that a little bit. Yes, I do miss going to the short stop. I used to go to the short oh, yeah. stop on Friday nights to dance. A beloved place. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. It's another time. It was another time. It was another time. <laughs> so so let's get into perhaps maybe what brought you to LA in the beginning. Uh, so you attended sure. Boston University. Is that correct? I did. I did. And you were in the School of Fine Arts there? I was. And yes. I was it, in the acting program. Now, I have a lot of friends who went through the BU program, uh, including my sound engineer and best friend slash... Uh, other life partner, Christopher Frontiero. Um, Amazing. And, uh, you know, BU's School of Fine Arts had both a very rigorous audition process. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. It was a scary one. I remember the story. Sure. It was one of the, yeah. It was similar to the, to the other scary ones, for sure. Yeah. Mine, I think, was just one person. You know, when I auditioned for NYU... It was the artistic director of the program. That was it. Did a monologue. Yeah, I think it was one person, maybe two people. Yeah. I heard somebody was really tough on everyone. (laughs) There's always that person at every conservatory, right? Um, Yes. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And, but and how did your audition go? What did you do? What was your material? Do you remember? I wow! I remember that my contemporary monologue was Harper from Angels in America. That was one cool. of my go tos. I yeah. could not, couldn't tell you what what it was about. Couldn't tell you anything. I just remember that was it. And then I'm sure we had to do either Shakespeare or some sort of classical, and I do not remember what that was. Yeah, uh, but. You know, it it worked. I worked. I it got, worked. I got yeah. it. And then okay, yeah, well, I went so there. yeah. So and then they they also have a sort of an infamous cut program. Oh yes, no longer. Thankfully, is that right? Uh, oh good. I'm glad they did away with it. Yeah, because yeah. it's so shitty. Oh my god, it's, it's such a shitty thing. It's horrible. Just yesterday, this is still spoken about in our class quite a bit. And uh, just yesterday, I was talking to a friend of mine. There's kind of, even still, like 20 plus laters, 
20, 20 plus years later, we talk about it. And there were a, f- a few people in the, in the class, myself included, who were not ever put on what's called warning because you have to mm. be put on warning before you get cut. <laughs> it's just horrendous. And, you know, looking back, I just at, like realized how much, uh, just horrendous stress and, uh, you know, just self agony and uh, just horrible things that I was spared while I was watching my friends, like, completely break down and, you know, empathizing, but not completely understanding how just horrible the system was. Uh, it was really, really bad. I mean, still people are, yeah, like joking about it in a not so joking way where they're like, that was major. That was a major thing. Yeah. You know, it's uh, like, I've spoken with other folks. I can't remember who the other BU person was now that I was talking with on here. I don't know if it was Baron Vaughn. Baron went to BU for sure. Went to BU, but I think it's like there's a thing of like, you know, you it's. I would say you have no idea who is going to develop and how they're going to develop as an artist. And it's like these young people have have gotten into this program on merit, and and you know, the idea of. Because the, the this idea that like well the business is hard so we've got to ingrain that in you now, or we've got to separate we've got to as though we're like doing the business a favor, right? By by uh, doing a sort of a further separation of who the this group of teachers think are going to make it or not. I, I don't I don't understand. It, it, the cruelty is the point. Yeah, it was. I mean, friendships broke up. I mean, it was, it, and, and it felt largely random too. I mean, we're all working our asses off. I mean, there was, you know, it, it, it seemed silly. And thankfully they, they eventually did change the system as far as I know. Uh, yeah. But also just hilarious to see who has 20 years later, like who's doing what? I mean, I, you know, right. I'm sure we'll right. get into this, but I'm, you know, not, pursuing acting professionally anymore and uh, yeah. a lot of people who didn't get cut or were not on warning or have completely different careers that are not even in the arts and you know and then some people yeah. who did get cut or you know left after freshman year are like movie stars so you know it's just right, like right. nothing matters yeah there was um, I think there was some a fa- fa- famous story about or a well-known story about, I think, Rosie O'Donnell had gone for, mm-hmm. right? Had gone right. for a little bit. yeah. Maybe did not complete the program because on her own terms, decided wasn't for her. Uh, look at her now. Yeah. And doing some of the best work. Like, I love right. watching her work these days. And in particular, I think her work is so great. Um, but, and then, yeah. And, you know. Now that, those are a few hard things to talk about about BU. Let me let's talk about some nice things about the program because yeah, it does put that... out great folks. And oh yes, we had a wonderful time. That is certainly not a uh, you know yeah. the thing that I left BU with. I loved 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 going there and uh, have yeah. the most wonderful friends as a result of those four years. And you know Boston, and it was a wonderful time. 
you know, folks who have done the program often talk about teacher Jim Spruill as being Aww. a very special teacher. I've heard so, so many people bring his name up, and I understand he passed a little over a decade ago now. Um, you got a chance to work with him, too. Absolutely. Yeah, he was one of our teachers. A very, very, very special man. Yeah. Yeah. Grateful for him. This past year, I noticed it's there was the very sad passing of a lot of important acting faculty at a number of the prestigious conservatories, um, including uh, Melissa Smith, who was a former conservatory director at ACT in San Francisco. Uh, Stella Adler Studio lost both uh, two of the sort of most beloved master teachers, Ron Burris and James Tripp, this past year. You know, these folks end up having such an important impact um, on our lives. Yeah, truly. Uh, so you graduate and you go on to start appearing in, in shows at places like the O'Neill Theater Center uh, and Boston Playwrights Theater. And when do you decide uh, about a move out to L.A.? So I had started to think about a move for a couple of reasons. I had come out to L.A. We had come out as a class to do a showcase in L.A. And that went well in terms. It just there was a it was a nice feeling here. And I just also loved the city. And then I had come out another time, maybe a year later. So maybe about a year or two into living in New York and just came out for a visit. It wasn't to like meet industry or anything like that. It was just to see some friends and hang out in Los Angeles. And I just fell further in love with the actual place. And even though I feel like I knew nothing in my early 20s, I did have an instinct of, oh, I feel like if I'm going to do this move to LA and as much as I want to act in TV and film, I feel like I should love Los Angeles separate from that. And so yeah. I did, you know, sort of know that. And so, and I was also, you know, New York was still a little bit more expensive and mm. I wanted to be able to live by myself and have my own place and I love driving. And so, and then on the career side, it uh, was going pretty well at the start for me as an actor in New York, but most of what I was booking was TV uh, and like an, an indie film. And I was auditioning like crazy for theater. And I was, mm. I felt like I was in New York to start with theater. I was sort of doing that path that you think, you know, some people think you're supposed to do, which is like, I'm going to do all this theater. And, and of course, for the love of it, but also as sort of this path. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I really wasn't uh, booking theater. And oh, so you were only... auditioning a lot and you were yeah. waiting to book. Okay. Yeah. Or you were booking yeah. here and there. I was booking, I was booking TV here and there. And I, you know, I did some friends plays and, you know, off, off Broadway and I did some plays, but I was constantly auditioning for, I was like getting the auditions for, you know, off Broadway and Broadway plays and musicals, tons of musicals. And, uh, it just wasn't happening. Now, it was only, I was only also doing it for three years, but when you're in your early twenties, you feel like that's so long, yeah. right? You know, what's interesting and... about that is like when you're, for those folks, friends of mine who have stayed in New York and are theater folks and they're yeah. doing well now, a lot of them. Yeah. 
but it took time. Exactly. And I didn't, for whatever reason, you know, also 9-11 had happened. I think that Mm -hmm. that was like traumatic for so many people on levels that we weren't conscious of. And I think there was also a part of like, I I think I need to go. You know, were there you, were so were many things going that? on. I was in school when that yeah. happened. So you had arrived in, you were there that year. Yeah. Okay. I was there. I yeah. um, I had an audition for Mamma Mia that day, you know. Oh, isn't uh, that and, like, <laughs> you, you think about it and it's like, that I, I actually had the feeling at that moment, like that acting was the most ridiculous thing to be doing yeah. with my life. And, right. you know, you know. I think that's more about me, not about acting. Right, right, of course. You know what I mean? Because, you know, the storytelling is so... The storytelling continues to be vital. And, you know, and we've seen some good responses to that horrific event in terms of writing. And we've also seen terrible, (laughs) very sort of misguided reactions to that horrible day. Um with regards to the art that came after it. But um, to, to, to be on your way to a Mamma Mia audition is really Yeah, I was about to tough. leave. Did, did not, you know, yeah. obviously uh, did not make it. Um, but yeah, I, and not to just like throw it in and then move on. But, uh, you know, there were just, there were a lot of things at play and that, that, that caused me to uh, make the decision to move. And I think the sort of short, bite of it on the career level was, all right, well, I've been here for three years. I am booking TV and film and I'm not booking theater. Mm. So why don't I go to a place where, and at that point there wasn't all the stuff shooting Atlanta now or, or in New York. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. In New York, there was like, law, you know, law it order. was still like, it was, it was law and order. It was a few shows yeah. and that was it. And so I kind of just was like, yeah, I'll just, go to Los Angeles. I mean, it was, and so, um, so that was the original intention for sure of, of moving out. And, uh, and, you know, I know a lot of people, it it takes a little while to enjoy Los Angeles for me. You know, as I said, I just loved the place. And I also had, I had like, you know, 20 friends who already lived here. So I was very lucky that Mm. it, it was a very easy transition. What, it's nice, it's uh, refreshing to hear someone say, like, I really, I went to L.A. and I really liked L.A., you know, yeah. um, because so many of us, and I've talked about it a little on here, it's like the transition from a place like New York to L.A. has been, you know, I think for me it was sort of a thing of, I had gone like, you know, I was sort of very much kind of like a city kid. Moving to L.A. Yeah. felt like it was so sprawling that it was like, depending on where you were, it didn't feel like a city. It felt almost mm-hmm. like a weird you know, suburb, it felt like Florida in some places. It was just sort of like one level strip malls and, you know, but then you discover so much about LA that's beautiful. And I think it's, it's, uh, I've always thought of it as being a bit of a treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. What was your experience of it? What were you seeing? What were you, what neighborhood, did you go, were you immediately in the, the, the like interesting parts of town? Like what was, what was it about LA for you? And right, right away. Because also uh, well, when we when we around that time, LA was very like parachute pants and like hanging out of the viper <laughs> room and like, not me, right? No, <laughs> but, not me. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had stayed with again, like I, 
I, I feel like I knew so little about the world, but I had just like got a, one thing right, which was like, why don't you stay with a bunch of friends who live in different neighborhoods all over mm. LA so you can sort of get a feel. So I like stayed with someone in Santa Monica. I stayed with someone in Mount Washington. I see. And, and that month or however long I did that, I, I got a feel for what I gravitated toward and, uh, then ended up in Los Feliz was my first apartment. That's great. And I feel like I sort of, yeah. What, I'm not going to say I was like an early adopter, but a lot of my friends were still like in mid city and right. they were like, what are you doing? What are you, you're going all the way over there. And I'm like, yeah, it feels nice over here. And then of course, you know, everyone came East. Um, yeah. and so that was great. And yeah, I, you know, I've never, I shouldn't say I've never wavered. I've definitely had my moments where I've been like, I think I need to get out of here for a while. Uh, yeah. And I don't know that I will spend the rest of my days here. But in general, uh, I love Los Angeles. Yeah, that's great. You know, the, that part of town, it's like I remember with Los Feliz, it was like going over there and it was like then one day I like rewatched. I hadn't seen this movie in a while, but it was the movie, the John Favreau movie Swingers. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that's like that's this neighborhood. And I didn't, you know, when I had first seen that movie, God knows, I was probably in, I don't know if I was in college, I was probably in, I might've been in college when I saw that one in New York. And it was just like, it almost didn't even register to me that they were in Los Angeles. Mm. Cause I didn't, that didn't strike me as Los Angeles, you know, right. Los Angeles to me was like true romance, you know, right? Yes. Isn't yes. true romance LA? And it was as like far, it was like downtown and like Santa Monica, I feel like, or Venice, and you know, or whatever, Maybe or a bunch Valley. of movies. Yeah. But like, yeah, and Los Feliz is kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. It's got that little golf course. Right. <laughs> it's, it's it's shaded. It's not sun, <laughs> it's not like sun baked, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's lovely. Um, it is lovely. And so, and you do you start booking work here in television. Pretty, pretty, pretty um, it took it took a while. It took a little while. You I remember. Did. I want to say it took. It definitely took at least a year to book a job. And I remember my manager at the time calling me when I booked <laughs> my booking first job, and she was like, "You popped your cherry," and I was like, oh, "That is so uh, <laughs> weird so to gross. say." Um, but uh, yeah, so then it like was sort of happening and uh but slow and um you know i hate auditioning and uh do you but oh just yeah i mean i i don't yeah it's a drag (laughs) yeah i don't ever want to do it again so um (laughs) yeah yeah what is it it about that for you because i think like is it the is it the because the creation is it the creation of the trying that thought thing of like what do they want is it the thing of waiting afterwards? Is it the thing of no, like... the actual... I hate... Well, this is sort of a larger thing, you know, which I could get into about, uh, you know, how it's, how I have struggled and then, you know, made decisions about the, the world of a, of a, uh, of a, I guess, auditioning actor, of a practicing, you know, pursuing actor, which is auditioning, A, I get nervous, just, just 
so, so nervous. Uh, and I do feel like if the self-tape thing had been happening 20 mm. years ago, yeah. I feel like I may have had a completely different trajectory. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but so there's that. Just just super, super nervy. Um, and the, dy- the, the power dynamic is is not something that I can gel with. It's not sustainable emotionally. It's not sustainable emotionally. It's, I, I, it's punishing. It's, it's just punishing. And even when you have like the loveliest casting director and the loveliest producers, there's still just such like an us them thing. And it's, uh, I, I feel like anyone in any career, it's like, if you were like, so your career, for the most part, is that you have a job interview like every uh, yeah. day uh-huh. for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's like uh, crazy. Yeah. And they decide whether you can come to work and you don't have any say in it or any control over it. Mm-hmm. Um, is, uh, yeah, it was, was start. Oh, I never liked, but then just started to become worse and worse as sort of it wasn't, you know, necessarily going the way I want. Um, and I'm saying all this, but also like there's a whole other side of this where it's like if that part of my creative life had gone the way that I wanted, then I might not have found out that I'm a singer-songwriter and I might not have like... Mm realize the you know my decluttering path and and so I just want to like I don't want it to sound like it's like all uh well this was horrible I mean this this was lovely in in a lot of ways uh but the way that it's structured and I can't think of a better way to structure it but is is for me was crushing yeah (laughs) I feel like I've quit a few times yeah um I might quit again um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Th- it's for those reasons. Yeah. It's not because, you know, I, I've fallen out of love. That's the damn problem is that right. I just love it. It's exactly. like, you know, it's like, well, exactly. well you don't want to do something. You do something else. It's like, you know, could you do something else? Yes. Mm-hmm. Would it be fun? Mm, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get excited about being the the senior product manager of like bagged snacks at like <laughs> Chex Mix or right. wherever Nabisco. Mm-hmm. I like get excited about that. No, I mean the money, the benefits. Sure. I'm sure that's not the, not having a pit in your stomach all the time. Mm-hmm. Probably great. Um, yeah. You know, the problem is, like, I just kind of, like, really like it. I just really like yeah. doing it, you know? It's like, what, I do. Are you gonna stop I know. Doing? It's like, what else are you going to stop doing? Like, exercising? Well, no, I like exercising. <laughs> like, you got quantity. Keep... Well, you can't do it anymore. Well, it's like, well, right. what? You know, that's, the, that's what's so hard about it, I think. I think I'm starting to think now where it's like, maybe I'll just, like, you know, as long as I have enough day jobs, like, maybe I'll just start auditioning for local theater or theater mm-hmm. up and down the California or whatever and just be one or or maybe when my kids are old enough it's like I'll just be like the old guy in the show that's yeah. at some regional place where they're like we need an older actor <laughs> it's like yeah I'm your guy I have a little hat and like I don't know I just love it that's the thing about it but 
that thing that you're talking about is it's oppressive after a while and you know yeah particularly like i feel like the tv writer is one too where it's like you meet a tv writer and it's like you're trying to just have a nice cover and then it eventually you're dreading it eventually they're like what do you you're having a great conversation and then eventually it's like what do you do and you're you're like i am a i'm an actor yeah. you know and you can see <laughs> them just file you away yeah and it's like uh you know and the TV writers, too, these days, it's like, they're also actors. So it's like, oh, <laughs> man, you know, <laughs> um, it's hard. But yeah. So anyway, but I love what you said about, like, it led you to these other things. I think that's so true uh, and has yeah. been for so many folks. And I've seen folks do incredible things after coming through an acting program. They become the, these brilliant stylists and artists and and producers and writers and directors. Um and one of the things that you, I guess, pretty right away is you, because you're a hugely talented musician and singer and composer, and you start you. getting your music placed, your original songs on shows like Grey's Anatomy and uh, Pretty Little Liars and The Vampire Diaries. Um, and you're also seeing your original songs and cover songs go on to become viral hits. Um, and I was listening to your music while working on this interview, and it was just so so lovely. You have such a wonderful, beautiful voice, and, Thank you. and such a great music sensibility. Where so, can I ask? I guess for folks who might be interested, so what is the music placement business like? What is that? How does that work? Who do you need to know to get your original songs placed on a on a show, for example? I wish I had a good answer for that, uh, and I. Uh, I can speak to it, but a couple things is, you know, when that started happening for me, uh, that was around 2010 and it's as far as I can tell completely different now in, uh, and, and I, and I admit I sort of had a, um, it, it happened for me in a very like organic, beautiful way where, uh, I out of nowhere surprise of my life became a singer songwriter started writing songs in my late 20s and then you know released an ep on a on a whim really where i was mm. was purely doing it for fun and creative uh, release and and all that kind of stuff and i knew mm. one person in the music business it was you know as you probably know like the the acting world and the music world are pretty separate yeah uh and um and I reached out to my friend, John Granite, and, you know, just to get his opinion on whether my songs, like, were okay, just as written songs. Mm. And, you know, long story short, he ended up becoming my manager uh, for music, and it, it all kind of just snowballed into this thing, and because he was already uh, working at a fairly high level, um, you know, he was able to pass it along and it kind of just worked out. I mean, there were people who had to say yes. It wasn't like he had the power to put my song on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, but it was through a publishing company. So it was not like a direct submission as, you know, as like a, an independent artist. Mm. Um, so then I was sort of being submitted, you know, by um, the publishing company I was working with. Nowadays, I don't exactly 
No. So music supervisors are the equivalent of casting directors, of course, uh, mm-hmm. in many in many ways. They are sort of that gatekeeper who, not only a gatekeeper, but a, a creative artist themselves who yeah. is finding music and saying yes and, and, and listening to everyone, much like the casting director is, is finding people and, and partaking in their own creativity. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I sort of learned early on. But as far as like how to get your music to the music supervisors, um, I don't exactly know. But uh, I will direct you, direct your listeners to a podcast about how, how to make it in the oh, new yeah. music Great. business. Um, that um, my friend Ari Herstand hosts, okay. and that is a wonderful podcast for all things music industry. Wonderful. Is there a name of that podcast? I believe the podcast, he has a book, it's called How to Make It in the New Music Business, and I think the podcast is of the same name. Great. Um, yeah. Um, well, like I said, I love your sensibility. You you know, you often describe your music as sad songs, which sad. which I love, you Ooh. know, and I'm attracted to that quality in music. I think because I think because I'm a bit of a misanthrope, you know, yes, I privately dramatize <laughs> my life and I try I try not to exude that publicly too much. But in my own little movie, sure. <laughs> you know. It, what is it for you? Is it that are you comfortable with your level of sadness, or is it uh, does it is it dangerously sad? You know, like where are we on the spectrum of sad? <laughs> is it dangerously sad? It's a great question. How you know, how, I, how brooding are you? Think? It's I I can go deeper, and I'm really yeah, wanting yeah. to go deeper. But I kind of joke, or you know. The, the truth of it is I sort of get out the sad so that I can be happy. I mean, yeah. it's it's therapy for sure, like no question. Mm. Uh, that songwriting for me has um, become like the equivalent of sitting on the therapist's couch. And uh, so, you know, we all have sad sadnesses. And sad is yeah. sort of like encompassing, like it's not – always sad it's just like true whatever's yeah true right yeah so and that could be a love song or it could be you know a song about like how i'm in a ball of uh you know worry and feeling crazy about all kinds of all kinds of things all kinds of things all kinds of things yeah there's that there's a scene in the that show Mad Men where Don Draper is doing the little uh, he's doing the pitch for the carousel, uh, you know where you have these little oh god how do, what do you like you have film Horror? of your of okay. photos and they yep. go around in a circle I don't know <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and this old thing called the carousel and which we've seen growing up but it's like. And he's seeing, he's going through all of these old photos of his own family, and he talks about the pain of nostalgia, and you know, it sends a couple of the writers in the room out of the room in tears because it's sort of like the pain of wanting to go back to a place that you wish you could go again to, you know? Yes. 
that kind of feeling is one that yeah i'll indulge in again privately it's like that's those those moments are you know the what's what can feel overwhelming about the passage of time and you know um and then and then there's angry stuff do you write angry songs i don't think you I, I don't know. I don't know uh, if that I could pinpoint a song of yours that I would say like, oh, I can hear the anger in there. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if you would be able to hear the anger in, in, in the past stuff, but I'm sure there's some anger that infuses some of it. I can think of some stuff that I have not, you know, finished or released currently where there's some anger. Yeah. I only realized I had anger. Like six years ago, so is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How I thought I was happen? like someone how, without how anger. That... that happened because oh, really? I, yeah, I thought that I was. I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a lot of things and I have a lot of emotions, but anger is not one of them. I'm not an angry person. That's a sort of statement I made about myself, which was total mm. bullshit. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, I'm not a volatile person i I don't think certainly far from you know needing anger management but uh i think we all have some anger i learned i had anger because i read the john sarno book healing back pain uh and where i was learning about you know our emotional connection to our pain sensors and he talks about how anger is a big root of of a lot of our pain Holy and i shit. was like yeah I, have, I was like i have a lot of back pain oh shit uh, i mean this <laughs> i think that well, was i think that's because of carrying like a very heavy jan sport backpack when i was a kid with those <laughs> tons of books that you had to carry to school uh-huh. all the damn time yeah but i don't know maybe it's Maybe it's, Maybe it's a little both. rage and yeah i'm, yeah. I'm a jo- joker sequel waiting to happen uh-huh. folks um that's an interesting idea that you're it's connected to body pain like that which about sort of like holding Mm -hmm. muscles that seize up and hold because of uh sort of it's like bracing you're in a constant set state of bracing yourself for more shitty things to come at you that's right interesting yeah Yeah. um john john sarno John Sarno, he's since passed, um, and uh, but yeah, revolutionary in the uh, you know mind pain connection. Hmm. There's a woman Nicole Sachs who's uh, carrying on that tradition. She's she's great. Great, I'll um, have to check them out too. Thank you for that. And so you, yeah. you and I also we both share a love for all things uh, Stephen Sondheim. Uh, sure, you know. Uh, uh, a very sad was it I can't even remember I guess it was last year now right Uh, when he passed yeah I guess it was or was it early this who knows what time is anymore I want to say it was late last year yeah Uh, what was your what was your musical education like because I know you play piano beautifully and how many instruments did you play what was your what were your your music inspirations did you do lessons all of it Sure. I, piano has, has basically been my instrument. Uh, I took lessons from ages six to 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I quit when I was 12, which is one of those things that if I like wanted to beat myself up, I would regret that. 
but I have to sort of just like accept and, mm. you know, uh, because I feel that I- I'm so grateful that I can play the piano, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, you could have gone, you could have gone, gone all the way. Yeah. You could have gone all the way. The concertos uh, and the, yeah. Exactly. I got to exactly. the concertos and then I was like, mm-hmm. all right. Yep. I wish yep. I had learned some other styles of music than just classical. Yeah. Yeah. There are ways of playing definitely like some of the, the jazz and the improv and uh, that I'm just kind of like, oh man, I'm just, mm-hmm. I just can't play like that. Yeah. It's just, I'm take a whole other I part can. of my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you play beautifully as well. Well, I, uh, you know, thank you for that. I, you know, I hadn't had a keyboard uh, for quite some time. It was only, I think it was like 2017, I finally got myself a keyboard again and it had been a, a full 10 years and, you know, mm-hmm. but um, other of my friends also like picked up instruments pretty right away. Like a, another friend of mine who went to BU, Jared Swanson, who picked up mm-hmm. a piano, went back to music pretty quickly after arriving in LA, like within a year or two and is one of another of my favorite musicians, you know, just, great. just happens to also be a friend of mine. Um, so all right so then around 2006 you start another business and developed yet another incredible talent so oh sorry yeah and it was all i was gonna say (laughs) it was a professional organizing business correct yeah so that actually came second so i uh and music kind of came third. third Yeah. So I, you know, was an actor, uh, and that was, that was the thing I was doing. And as a day job, uh, Oh no, acting was the thing you were doing. Yeah. It was the thing I was doing. I was working in restaurants as the day job, uh, and worked in restaurants, I guess, and back in New York too. So from like the onset post-college until I launched my organizing business, I was, um, primarily a host and then towards the end a server but um I the sort of genesis of the business came about after my father passed in 2005 mm-hmm. and it, I had one of those moments as one does where they're faced with their life in front of their face and you're like what am I doing yeah. um now I had the good fortune to like already be pursuing the craft that at the time I did want to be pursuing, but I, uh, did have a moment where I realized, oh, I think I'm just like waiting for my life to happen because I was sure that I was just, you know, one pilot booking away from all my dreams coming true. And, uh, and so I think that event made me realize a couple of things. One that I was sort of just like letting, I I didn't feel like I was completely in the driver's seat and, uh, wanted to make sure I was making choices. And also just that the reality of like, this might not work out in the way you want. And if it doesn't, Mm -hmm. what's, don't you want to be doing something else that um, gives you a little more pleasure mm-hmm. than, you know, uh, as a day job yeah. and and a little bit more control? Because I think I had started to realize, which I didn't yet realize with the whole acting pursuit, how much it's just a part of who I am to be a little bit more con- in control. Yeah. Um, not, not, you know... 
do I have a history of being a control freak in areas of my life? Sure, but I don't even mean it in that way no, of I, being a control freak. Just yeah. like literally being in the driver's seat, not literally. If, if you go back um, to like, if you go back to that thing of like working out, that idea, it's like you can mm-hmm. con- you can control how much you time you put into working out, and you can see a result. It's like that, yes. right? It's yes. like it's not about controlling other people, or you know, it, it's more about like. Uh, seeing a res- seeing a result from your what you're putting into something. Yes, right? yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and finding fulfillment. And yeah. uh, so I decided to start a business, and it 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 became a decluttering business. And I didn't realize I sort of had a talent for that, and I had enough of it that I took the leap and started seeing clients and that you know worked out to you know pretty much was working out yeah. it then got sort of complicated with the having to cancel for auditions and then if i canceled for the audition and all, didn't book the part and then had canceled my client and then like was out the money for the day that started to take a toll yeah uh but it was largely working. It was largely fulfilling. It was, um, I have met so many beautiful clients along the way. Uh, I no longer see, do, um, a lot of one-on-one stuff, but it sort of morphed into these other things like Mm -hmm. making videos and writing a book. And, you know, now I coach in another organizer's program called Team Organize with a colleague of mine, Alejandra Costello. Yeah. And that's a wonderful experience. And it's 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 gone farther than I expected it <laughs> to. And it's been a really interesting surprise. Yeah. So <laughs> so you're you're working with hundreds of private clients sort of helping initially sort of reorganizing spaces, closets, apartments, Mm -hmm. garages, homes. And eventually this leads you to write this fantastic book. And it's published in 2016 and it's called New Order, a decluttering handbook for creative folks and everyone else. Uh, I highly recommend folks check this book out. Um, Thank you. Your book is also now, it's now also an online course um, and you've given keynotes uh, at such places as the official Etsy conference and the Soho House, and your work has been cited and praised in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and Apartment Therapy. Um, and can I tell folks, where do I tell folks to go? Should I tell them to go to faywolf.com or to neworderlove.com to find, to sign up for your newsletter, find the book? Where should yeah, we direct I, people? Yeah, either, either one of those will, Faywolf is uh always fun to say your own name, uh, is kind of the hub, (laughs) (laughs) is kind of the hub for all the things I do. Um, uh, so it'll, it's a quick link over there to the decluttering part. Uh, or if you just want the decluttering part, that's new order love. Yeah. And in specifically talking about creative people, you cite examples like clearing a space in your living room to set up a drum kit, which Lord, (laughs) that sounds fun. (laughs) I want to play drums. Yeah, and loud. Reclaiming. You talk a little bit about like reclaiming the mental space to let the great ideas flow, or Mm -hmm. paring down your schedule so that you have time to go uh, do other things. Like you know, 
rock climbing or something that's you know good for the heart, the, the mind, the body. Yes. Um, and so, by the way, I've got an idea for you for a follow-up book. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> Which is even more niche. It's for creatives <laughs> who are also parents. Ooh, so many, so many of you. You know now. My wife and I, we're the types that like to reset the house back to one every day. Ugh. Every day. Yes. Now, the, I, I've seen the the creative parents who, where the kids run the house, you know, or mm-hmm. or rather, you know, I don't know if the kids run the house, but it's like they do not have time. We live in a yeah. two-income generation now for parents. And, you right. know, so we, and we're doing that too, both of us. So it's like we get done with, you know... Uh, work for the day, her job, my day job, then, you know, any auditioning, you know, doing this, you know, um, and being a parent. And then it's sort of, you know, resetting the house by the end of the day. Now we're bone tired. Of course. And, you know, your ability to think about creative questions then becomes more limited. And Mm -hmm. this is the thing that I struggle with a lot more now these days because, you're giving your mental creativity to teaching a class or some other day job or planning fun activities for your family and your kids, you know, so that part about reclaiming the mental space to let the ideas flow, that becomes incredibly precious. Um, Absolutely. And the part about paring down the schedule that including, you know, you have to include the swim lessons and the family doctor appointment. So Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, will you please come and observe (laughs) our family (laughs) We will be your, uh, we will Case be your study. fodder for helping to figure out how we can do this better. That benefits us. Then you'll get a brand oh, new book out of the deal. Oh wow, 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 wow! I hear you. It's so much. You know, I'm not a parent yet, and I am struggling myself. I, it's like there's just too much for all of us. It's uh, there's something wrong with all the things that we're expected to do. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's it's impossible. And it's also then like, and then you kind of like get in trouble too. You're, it's like, well, why aren't you, I don't know, posting about this thing or volunteering? At, at, and, oh, and sure. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we really have to find those moments, too, where it's like, okay, there's a conversation going on publicly. There's opportunities mm-hmm. to go and march. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, we've had to really find our windows to do those things and sometimes have discussions about, you know, how what are, what are the best ways to sort of show support? We're, we, the donating is, is very doable, but it's like, yeah, that, that – that has become a little bit more, you got to schedule that too now. Whereas yeah. before it was more like, oh, that sounds like a wonderful thing to do. I'm going to go uh, teach a class to this group of people or, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And in your 20s and 30s, it's, you know, uh, it's it's easier. Um, and I mean, that's a whole other tangent. But I just, it just, a few examples of all the little, not little, but little and large things that uh, we have responsibilities to during the day, plus all the literal stuff we're looking at in our homes, plus all the Mm -hmm. emails and texts and uh, things that we're juggling and, and trying to, I mean, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I just like had no, no creative 
soul to fulfill you know like no like <laughs> to, like what it, yeah yeah to feed like what a joy <laughs> it would be to just like be completely content with uh you know a, a container of work and home yeah. and no other like truth or voice <laughs> that i felt like compelled to to come out um because that kind of runs the show a lot you know what it's a little bit like it's like that better call Saul the characters there jimmy mcgill and kim wexler it's like they can you could just live your life folks but no mm-hmm. they're compelled to mm-hmm. they're compelled to uh i mean in that show it's like con people you know right and it feels that way it's like just as you said it's like you have to feed this thing yeah uh, but i mean you know yeah in our version not hurting people it's a lovely thing no 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 no. it's a very lovely thing and but it and is you're compelled to do it for sure well, the thing i'm yeah. trying to do is eliminate that like lately is like eliminate the alarm sound in my head the mm-hmm. the, the the sound of stress that i create for myself in my mm-hmm. mind where it's like you have the pack schedule okay mm-hmm. instead of catastrophizing yeah. In my mind. I'm not saying I figured this out yet, by the way. <laughs> but it's like, okay, the schedule's packed. I, I'm going to do these things. But if I could just eliminate the part where I go like, oh, why did I yeah. do this to myself? It's like, well, you know, in my case, it's like I did it because I wanted to. So, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes the catastrophizing I find will lead to to more procrastination. Absolutely. I'll find myself, I'll, I'm... Suddenly I'm clicking around on a social media app because the stress of it is, I don't know, it's like getting in my in, in my way. I don't have a solution, but I'm just trying to think in terms of like, you're on a heavy drug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're on a heavy drug. The drug is life. Uh-huh. Just remind yourself, just breathe. Remember you're on a heavy drug called life and, uh, you know, things will be okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm taking a deep breath about that. (laughs) Things will be okay. Things are going to be okay. I can really completely. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I try to be when, when I'm, when I'm teaching some of this stuff or coaching people about some of this stuff, I, I think and hope that, you know, a lot of them appreciate that I'm pretty brutally honest Mm -hmm. that I'm dealing with, this stuff at the same time. Mm. I'm never, I'm not pretending that, uh, that I have all the solutions, but I'm just sort of sometimes just kind of going through it in real time and being like, well, this is how I'm trying to figure this out, uh, today. Um, and of course, you know, there are, there are sort of big things across the board that are always, or I should say, you know, usually going to work for people, if they're, uh, if they have been a block, like, you know, if you have a bunch of clutter in your space and you can't find the things that you need, like that's gonna suck time and energy from you. Mm -hmm. That's just usually a fact. So there are like definite things you can do. Um, but then beyond that to a point, uh, I'm actually dealing with that right now with my music spaces because, um, my husband and I now live in this uh, house that we're renting that's so much bigger than the space we were in before we moved a little over a year ago 
And it was sort of hard to find space for music when we were two people in a one bed. And now we have three spaces for music. And I have followed all my own advice. And those spaces are clear and like aesthetically pleasing and lovely. And we finally gotten them, you know, pretty set up. And I'm still dealing with my own inner clutter and like procrastination and fear and all that kind of stuff. And so I still stand by my, you know, advice to people like you have to still make it accessible to do. You have to be able to just like sit down at the piano and like know where your tools are and stuff like that. I still yeah. need that to be the case. Yeah. Um, but but you're always still going to have the other stuff to deal with, which is the, you know, the ticker tape of, well, but I, I need to make the bed or I can't possibly do this today because this other thing's more important or I'm scared what's going to happen when I sit down. You know, all those things. Yeah. I started to loathe my workspace, you know, mm. which is not, it's not, I mean, it's a little cluttered, but it's not too bad. But it was just like, I was starting to get to a point of like, oh, I don't want to sit down at that computer again and send emails or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and I think that the other thing is like when you're, when you're teaching, I think both things can be true. You can be this fabulous, you can be a wonderful teacher mm-hmm. and really help people. But there's also a thing of like, it's easy for me to say, hard for you to do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's like, Absolutely. you know, there's that stuff going on, I, I would imagine as well. But I love stuff, the stuff that you talk about. I love when you talk about breaking things down into pieces, you know, that took me till college to learn that, you mm-hmm. know, particularly when it was like those, that, that was my first panic attack was in college. Mm. I had a paper due on Mrs. Dalloway and had not read the book <laughs> and just had like a moment of um, feel all of a sudden I felt sick and had to lie down. I didn't know what was going on. And I emailed the teacher and was like, I guess I'm sick. Like, and I said, you know, can I turn this in later? And they said, yeah, yeah, you can turn it in like after the weekend. And immediately I felt better. Mm. And I was like, what was that? You know? Um, So, you know, breaking things into pieces was hugely helpful. Um, And you also advocate what I like. You advocate for better instead of perfect. That's right. That's right. You know, um, which I think is great. It's the only thing that that can make sense (laughs) is imperfection. Because, you know, it's like, how can we be striving for perfect when we're flawed and imperfect? And when there are so many things out of our control in life. It's like, we just have to do the best we can. And there's so many things that you can make better and, and nothing's ever final either. It's like, mm, right. You know, you, your space is going to change. More mail is going to come in. Uh, you know, your kid's going to grow out of that bed or those clothes and you're going to need to replace them. It's like, you know, I don't even like to do before and afters. I do like before and better because it's it's fluid yeah so uh it's a practice i like to say it's a practice that sort of goes along with it uh it it's it's not some thing some some um you know something you're you're supposed to learn how to perfect and only when you are perfect at organizing do you start that's just it's it's gonna kill you yeah and you talk you also talk about using timers 
Oh my god, I love timers. Yeah, I like how you I describe have, them like a oh, bell in a boxing ring. You know, timers. Yeah, there's a timer right there, <laughs> and you say time to fight and then time to break and refuel. Yes, yes. Timers are like so. We are creatures who a lot of us just need accountability, right? And how often is it easy for us to do something? meet someone at a certain time, show up at an appointment because someone's waiting for us, mm. but we can't keep appointments with ourselves, right? So mm. timers are just such a great hack to try to have accountability to something else. That's one of the reasons where it's just like, you just have to do that first action step, which is to set the timer or to press start on the timer. Yeah. Because then there's something in you that's like, oh, well, I set the timer to do that thing, so I better do it. And I'm not saying it works all the time, but it works so much more than it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but it also it also just serves to focus you in. Um, I mean, I could do, you know, talk for hours on just like, the setting up a to-do list and scheduling and then how to make a timer work with that. But I just love the idea of a timer. Anything you're procrastinating on, especially just, you know, set a timer for 20 minutes, 25 minutes and um, start. Makes it so much easier. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, John August, the wonderful screenwriter has a, his own great podcast. And, and also I remember discovering his website, and uh, which was usually so helpful. Is it johnaugust.com, I think? Um, talked about doing like writer sprints, you know? So it's mm. like, it applies to the work the, that you're doing as an artist and, um, and probably to everything, you know, yeah. all projects. And even that thing about like making something better and not perfect because it's never done, like you said. It's like, that's kind of like when you walk away from a script, it's like you, you never... Yeah. Or someone walks exactly. away from a song or a painting. It's like that's there's that saying. It's like you never finish it. You just walk away eventually. Mm-hmm. You know. Exactly. So you now a few years ago you also posted about decluttering your money. Oh. Which is look at you digging into digging back into the archive. <laughs> <laughs> you I, so I loved this. You went on a you talked about you went on a spending rest for all yes. of 2017. And if you don't mind my saying, do you mind my saying yeah. how much you cleared no. off a card? You cleared $21,000 off of a credit card. That's right. That's incredible. Can you talk a little bit about that process, what that was like, and how do people think in terms yeah. of what does that mean to declutter your money? So I was, I'm, I like talking about this because it's something people are uncomfortable talking about. Um, I was for most of my life, basically until like 2017, 2018, uh, not that long ago, uh, just horrible with money, just really, really bad. Uh, was in credit card debt uh, from the time I got credit cards at age 18 until then and just could not figure out how to create a budget that made any sense, uh, wasn't saving any money just really wasn't, you know, wasn't taught, didn't seek it out, tried to, like tried to make budgets. And then I probably in that post, I shouted out the book that I'm not remembering the name of right now, but I read a book about, uh, which this, uh, lovely author called a spending fast. I believe I called it a spending rest. 
And I really just stopped spending uh, anything that I didn't need to spend for about a year, maybe a little over a year. It's incredible. I didn't, I mean, the sad, the only, the only sad thing was like, I, I think I missed two weddings <laughs> mm, yeah. um, because I, I really couldn't leave town. I couldn't justify, you know, that like $1,500 per wedding or whatever it was, yeah. or whatever it usually is to, to do that. And, um, that was the only downside I, as I recall, but the upsides were huge, but the the real thing that changed my life forever was starting to use this app called You Need a Budget. That is like, I feel like I've said like, my life is like before YNAB, which is its acronym, and after hmm. YNAB. Truly, truly, truly. And I use it to this day. And it is the thing that keeps me from not going back into debt. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I think we, this year in particular, I think we need it. Um, yeah. We'll check that out too. These are great suggestions here. Thank you for all of these wonderful links and books for folks uh, to check out. Of course. Um, doing that for a year is hard. Um, yeah. I, you know, doing it for a few months is hard. Um, mm -hmm. But that's a wonderful. And was there anything, did you, do you carry with you, so what does it mean for you these days? So keeping a budget, uh, but do you, th you know, which is easy to say, hard to, right. hard to do. Um, when you look at an opportunity that's going to cost you money, mm -hmm. do you, how, what's the like sorting hat of it? Like, what, what, where's the decluttering part in, in that? Is it, you're just simply saying like, is this more, are, are you having that conversation about like, is this just more stuff kind of conversation? Right. Well, I will say this, I, you know, I'll also tag on to that, that journey is that also to, you know, help pay off the, the, that debt. I was simultaneously uh, taking on more clients. So it's not that I like ended up with like $21,000 that maybe would have been there anyway. A, a, a good portion of that would have been there anyway. But I also just like started working more, even though I didn't necessarily want to be working more. Uh, and then it, you know, kind of morphed from there. And I've like, the income has like slightly increased in the years since then, which I don't think is a complete accident. And I think is part of sort of clearing the space of, of not having the debt hanging over um, to allow for a little of that. But um, when I'm sort of deciding now, it's hard to answer with the pandemic just because mm, yeah. so many things have come off the table people, in the last few years. People went on an ordering spree. Yes. Yes. Anything that but, felt comfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. I will say that uh, there are, let's see, you know, when it comes to family, I'm usually just like a yes if mm -hmm. it, yeah, because it's just feels like either seeing, traveling to see family or things yeah. like that or needs for a parent or, or stuff like that. Uh, I've been pretty good about like laying off things like clothes and, you know, little just random things. But mm. 
uh, I've been really lax about probably like home stuff just because we moved into a bigger space in 2021 and, and kind of consciously decided like, okay, we're now going to be paying more for rent. Uh, we're making that decision. Mm. And, but we, we were somewhat strategic about it. Like we're putting a certain amount in a joint account every month and, and making sure that that all sort of goes to like the home stuff. Mm. And, and then we, but that was also kind of a leap of like, all right, if we do that, how's it going to pan out for the rest of our lives? Are we going to make it work? Are we going to have to pull back? So I would just say to, to sort of answer it differently is that it's a constant conversation, especially if you have a partner, we're, we're in like fairly constant conversation about things. And, and sometimes I'm spending things, spending on things that like my partner may be like, interesting and same and same thing you know vice versa uh and and of course you know we can do that as long as you know you can do whatever you want as long as there's some sort of thing but we're i mean we're also so many tangents here like we're also like spending money on ivf right now which is like the most expensive thing ever to exist in the world that's exciting yeah so it's hard to say it's kind of like so expensive and so there's like that when you have those other big things in mind, I think it, it sort of like naturally trickles down that you're like, well, let's not be going out to dinner every whatever because you're you're just uh, and we are taking on debt to be like completely frank about that. Like we are taking on debt for the IVF, but like a very specific debt that we're like taking on at zero percent or one percent mm. that's like just for that yeah um as opposed to the debt that i had for decades which was anything and everything on a credit card you know on a whim I've, yeah on a whim yeah 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 your 20s that you were paying off in your 30s 20s let's see yeah 20s and 30s mm. that I'll be 44 in a few weeks. So I basically oh. like, Happy yeah, I basically like right before 40 yeah. is when I finally figured out a budget. Now, we talk about being the, you would we talk about earlier this idea of being in the driver's seat, you know, of your life. And I think it's, you know, how that being said, life goes in waves. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling these days? Whew. You know, I just restarted uh, taking some yoga classes and that is, it's doing it. You know, when you're kind of like, (laughs) you're skeptical that like something's going to work again or something's going to, but I think after like the third class, I was like, oh yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. This actually like is, uh, this is beneficial. Uh, There is that thing I think of like, do you find that there's a thing of like, uh, making sure to sort of get in touch with what's going on with your body sort of a thing when it comes to figuring out how you're doing. We talked about this, I guess, a little bit with the back pain and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that's a constant journey that I'm, uh, uh, no, well, I shouldn't say nowhere near mastering, um, but, um, trying to continually practice. I do do a thing often where that seems very helpful, which is just the smallest thing in the world, but where if I uh, find myself suddenly sort of in a mood and just like feeling bad, I mean, this is so 
basic sounding, but I, uh, I remind myself to be like, okay, wait, what's actually bothering you right now? Mm. Is it like the weird tone that that person on the phone just spoke to you with? <laughs> yeah. Is yeah, it yeah. the, you know, is it the fact that, you know, you have this thing coming up and I'm pretty good at like identifying it and then just like being able to kind of like shake it off a little. Um, but I think that's something that I like never used to do. I would just like let myself feel bad. And so I've been getting better at, at catching myself there and just being like, oh, no, wait, you don't have to be in a shitty mood that feels like it's for no reason right now. Yes, um, I, I like that a lot. I find that too because it's like there are those moments, I think, in life where it's like you find yourself in a bad mood. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I'm in a shitty mood right now. And then it's like, if you think about it, it's like you just go back to like what you said. It's like, Oh, wait, there was an email. Yeah, exactly. There was an email. <laughs> there was an email. There was like a fucking text message that, yeah. you know, there was something I scrolled and saw and it just mm-hmm. fucked my shit up. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It was that, it was that post I saw from that person I knew 12 years ago right. that said they were doing that thing. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. and then you pull back and you're like, Actually, I'm really happy for that. You know? like, <laughs> oh, there's that know. thing, of course. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. You know, and that is a struggle. I think that's one of the hardest struggles as an artist. But it's interesting to hear. It's like if that still exists. Well, you are an artist. You're, you're, I, like I think it's like, you know, um, it's the. It's natural. It's natural, and it, and it's a very it's a very difficult thing to process when you have those knee jerk responses. But I think it's like that feeling. I've in my investigation of it, it's like, oh, I don't want to feel like I'm left behind. Like that's the right. that's the thing that you go like, oh shit, you know? Yeah. You know, it's that. It's it's any moment that's like, oh hey, oh hey, like good to see. You. Like, what are you up to? Like, you know, or like, are you? Yeah. Are you coming with us with on the fun journey of being very successful, or are you hanging back? Absolutely. I, I mean, it really comes down to. A belonging right, right like right. belonging for me yes. uh just of yeah, yeah. whether it's the old like you know cliche of like not being picked for the team or just any i mean belonging is just such a theme overall of my life it's like identity stuff and everything and it's just like mm, yeah oh man like oh so i don't get to be in that club either and it could be anything right, it's right. not even just like yeah. success but you know especially especially, well, I mean, it's the sure. I mean, we can both relate on the acting level, but I think especially lately for me with the acting stuff, it's kind of like, it's not only, oh, you, you guys went off on that thing, but it's also like, oh man, and then I quit that thing that I thought I was going to be doing for, for my whole life. Right. But then like, but then even that, it just, it, once I get conscious, I'm like, oh, wait, but I, I, I'm so fulfilled by creating music and creating all these other things. So I understand that you have a lot of projects on the horizon. Um, and one of them up next, your, you know, your music is going to be featured in a new Netflix series called Devil in Ohio, which is yes. created by another friend of ours, Daria Pulitan. And, yes, um, uh, and I understand you're you're working on a new EP. I am very, 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 very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on oh, that. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and you're considering creating your own podcast. Is that right? I am. I've been thinking about it for years, and I think the idea is starting to crystallize. So we'll, we will see if I can find moments to uh, make that a reality. That's great. Where do you want to? Uh, could you tell folks like where can people find you online? Sure. Uh, when I when I find time to post things about myself, it's usually on Instagram, which is just my name at Faye Wolf. Uh, no, no ease on either either name. People usually like to put one on either. Oh, with Wolf. Um, with, oh, with on both. With both, and also yeah. Wolf, not like Virginia, not the two O's like Virginia Wolf, but Wolf. Correct. Wolf with one O. Yes. Just like the animal, as my dad would say when spelling it, always. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a website, uh, FayeWolf.com. There's the decluttering website, NewOrderLove.com. Uh, I feel like those will point in all the directions to to all the things and uh, Spotify and Apple Music and things like that. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited about the Devil in Ohio music and I'm so excited for Daria. Yeah. And uh, our, our, our BU friend Emily Deschanel is going to be starring right. in it. Yeah. And uh, it's a... Um, also executive produced uh, by Rachel Miller, who okay. also was my manager for my book New Order. So it's a it's a lots of lots of family fun. That's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, excited for that. Uh, well, Faye, this has been so great. I'm so delighted to talk to you. You're such a wonderfully thoughtful human being, and um, I just have big admiration for the ways in which you look at life and how you meet challenges. Um, you know, thank you for spending this time with me today. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I adore talking to you. <laughs> so nice to hear from you. Um, anytime you want to sing Stephen Sondheim, please, oh my please goodness. let me know. Honestly, please. <laughs> let's do it. Let's cut it in. Uh, and, <sighs> and I wish you continued success and safety and good health. Thank you. Same to you, my friend. If you listened all the way to the end of this episode, I hope you feel better for it. I know I do. We're all just trying to get better, right? Hey, if you liked this episode, you know, why not give us a subscribe? Those sweet, sweet five-star ratings, a nice comment. And we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality conversation in the future. You can check out our Patreon and our swag for more ways to support the pod. You can find both in our Instagram handle at things are going great for me. Stay tuned because we've got eight more incredible episodes now premiering every Wednesday, including interviews with Alyssa Lynn Paris, Leonard Robinson, Claiborne Elder, Beth Risegraff, Susie Abramite, Gil McKinney, Sufi Bradshaw, and Ji Young Han, to name more than a few. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editor is Sierra Hauser. All right, for you truly thorough listeners, here's a secret. I had a cigarette in Ireland. I'm not proud of myself. It was a pretty intense week, plus being in the motherland for a wedding with good friends that I never get to see. And I was making some new friends. It all happened so fast.
Anyway, I had to reset the clock on taking a break from nicotine. Still no pot, though. And honestly, so far, really not messing up. See you next time.